Hello poetry fans, it's Alice here. Very happy to be sharing another episode of Poetry Says with you. This is a conversation with Claire Gaskin, who is a Melbourne-based poet. She is the author of the collections A Bud and more recently Paperweight. I first came into contact with Claire's work through a series that was being run out of RMIT here in Melbourne at um, at a little cafe called Some Velvet Morning. This is back in 2013. And that conversation was really pivotal for me for two reasons. It was where I encountered this idea that I have been thinking about basically ever since then, which is the role of specificity in poetry and how the more specific you are, the more you can open a poem up to a wider audience, which seems counterintuitive. That was also the first moment when I encountered Gig Ryan's poem, If I Had a Gun. And if you haven't read that poem before, I would recommend just finding it, bringing it up on your phone or whatever device you're using to listen and just having a read of that uh, before you get into this conversation. It might be useful to set the frame for the kind of conversation this is. It's a pretty intimate conversation with Claire. We're sitting at her kitchen table and we get into the subject of gender um, and the language that's used when female poets are being talked about, the use of the personal I, writing about emotion. We get into all that pretty quickly and we stay there for the majority of the conversation. Claire brings up this idea that comes from another Melbourne poet, Janine Leanne, that subtlety is a privilege, um, which is a really interesting concept that will start to unfold for you as you listen. And related to that, this idea that the world only makes sense for the people that the world is working for. So that's all towards the beginning of the conversation. And then we move into um, a reading of Gig Ryan's poem, Eurydice's Suburb. If you can read along to this poem as we're discussing it, you'll get the most out of it. But I think it's a, it's a great introduction to that poem. And probably the last third of our conversation here has to do with rage. <laughs> so I bring up the fact that in Paperweight, there is a sense of rage and how I found that really important to engage with at this particular moment for me personally. And from there, we start talking about things, including the Me Too movement and also how you get distance from the personal when you're writing a poem that deals with something like rage or deals with maybe trauma. How do you write a poem like that that's true and real, but also a work of art? I guess that I bring up quite a bit in the chats I have with poets on this podcast is specificity. Yeah. And that's um, something that I stole from you when I came to see yeah. you talk at um, Sun Velvet Morning in Clifton Hill, oh, like okay. maybe 2013 yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. And you said, I've got the notes here, I dug them Ooh. out. And. Um, Something that you said that really has stuck mm. with me and really changed the way that I write and the way I think about poetry is the mm. more specific you are, the more universal you are. Yeah. Is that something you still agree with? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually, um, 
yeah, it's 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 something I'm quite passionate about. Um, I think it's um, yeah, about the personal mm, and mm. Um, the validity of the personal. Yeah, and then it's not um, it's not anti intellectual. Yeah, or, exactly. Or, it, yeah, that was. That was such a defining moment for me to hear you say that because I thought up until that point that really to have any kind of audience, um, I would have to somehow try and write poetry that was somehow applicable to, if not everyone, then a big group of readers. Yeah. Uh, And I had no idea how to do that. Yeah. I think it's really gendered too. Mm. Like I think when I first started um, with poetry in the 80s, then we were told to not use the I. And I think that was code for silencing women because I think the history of intellectual life is that women told their stories or contributed intellectually maybe through the novel and that's maybe going back to when women were literally excluded from education like even you know Virginia Woolf couldn't you know um, walk into a library or you know um, so women contributed when they didn't learn Latin and Greek by writing novels so they told their they contributed intellectually through story and often through personal story or using the I mm-hmm. so um yeah, I I or I felt in well leaping forward that in the eighties there was a lot of talk about don't use the eye that somehow personal um, meant lesser or women's poetry was lesser slash personal was women slash emotional was women <laughs> slash don't write about your period or something whereas. whereas when men write about the person that doesn't figure, like it's not dismissed as feelings. When men, when men write about feelings, they're told that they're writing about human nature. It can be the same subject matter and it still happens today. Like I'd still be reviewed as um, hyperbolic or melodramatic. I, yeah, oh, wow. still That's, today. Wow. And I think it's very <laughs> gendered. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and something Janine Leanne said, yeah, was subtleties of privilege, and I still wow think that you know, um, yeah, that there's a certain coolness that um, still is really prevalent, and I still think. It's, a, you know, it's cool to be cool or it's seen as intellectual to to vacate work of anything personal or specific. And that's not to be about feelings. And I just really resist that. I think it's not true. Mm. Um, but the weird thing is that, as you say, the same poem mm. written by a, a female poet will be seen to be specific and personal whereas yes. like i'm thinking as you're talking of um 
Larkin's poem. Uh, yeah. They yes. fuck you up your mum and dad. Imagine if a woman yeah. had written that. People if would be like, oh my God. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop well, complaining. Yeah. yeah. It gets quite scary then. You might have to even frame it in, you know, the history of mental health, you know, and stuff, you know, like to probably be dismissed as unwell or to that mm. extreme. Mm. Um, if, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, and that I think still that whole narrative around hysterical, you know, is attached to, to women or to women's grief or women's lament that mm. goes back to the Greek, you know, and the foundations of patriarchy and, you know, don't cry like a woman. And I just still feel like women are reviewed. The language of reviewing women is still you know, largely unconsciously embedded with those attitudes. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, Anise Nin's written really well about writing from the personal. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I mean, I find it interesting that I still get that. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, being subtle is a privilege or being, you know, not writing about, or saying, oh, I'm not writing about poetry, it's not about feelings. Well, yeah. I mean, also, I think, um, you know, um, you know, meaning is, is also a privilege, you know, like, if it's immediately accessible, like, the world only makes sense to those people who, to people who the world is working for, so people who demand that it has immediate meaning, you know, that that's a privilege as well. You know, that's a privileged place. Like, mm, um, mm. You mean in terms of, um, say, for example, if there was a poem that used certain vocabulary that was accessible to, say, people who had completed a bachelor's degree. Um, is that sort of what you mean in terms of the meaning being a privilege or...? Um, no. Um I suppose I'm, you know, then just leaving and sort of, um, you know, getting into that whole um, debate between, you know, like, you know, the difficult poem versus the immediately accessible poem or, um, you know, that the immediately, immediately accessible poem is a privileged place to, like if someone's been traumatized or if the world doesn't make sense to them they don't necessarily communicate in a way that you know they don't necessarily finish their sentences or their stories might be um have not be linear or have um you know be um incomplete so that you know sometimes a fragmentation of poetry is a way to communicate um what doesn't make sense yeah yeah Um, i think that's one of its most important functions yeah and that's why i'm still and probably forever will be so convinced by the fragment and the form that that is non-linear yeah um because i think if all poetry was linear then it would be like we just have a set of rom-coms you know yeah just be like the movies yeah. And it wouldn't be as nearly as useful to us. So, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so... I had never thought about it in those terms, though. 
yeah um that the accessible being something that maybe only certain people yeah not everybody can write in an accessible way for uh, you know where that the, the world doesn't make sense for everyone the world only makes sense for people that the world is working for so i'm thinking about when people it's sort of an act of aggression when people will come at the arts or poetry and say what does it mean you know like um because they feel like um they're being deliberately excluded or it's rocking their world or or, you know but the fact is their world is the status quo Mm. so they don't want that rocked um because you know they're in the privileged position that's working for them and they don't want that to just to be disturbed so when someone comes along and you know presents something they don't understand they can get quite anxious and angry and aggressive um Whereas that person may not be intending to do that. They're just trying to make sense of their world. That's not the same, you know, that, that, Mm. um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, um, you people write to try and make sense of their world or to try and, you know, um, understand what they're thinking and feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't fit into, you know, what, um, they're told to think and feel or yeah i i was thinking about this on the way here in terms of uh the title of your latest book paperweight and it's such a great title i think because it conjures up not only the image of something you use to keep uh paper in place but also the weight of paper and how light it is but then how much a piece of paper can hold mm. and as you say that's yeah that's something that you know huge numbers of people do they turn to the page so that they mm. can make sense of something mm. and you know a notebook can mm. be it's not going to judge you <laughs> yeah um yeah is that was that something that you were thinking of when you when you titled the book well it's interesting that 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 came out of um it actually came from a dream it was one of those lines i woke up with that yeah right are fantastic when they happen but happens so rarely you know something that john anderson the um great melbourne poet would speak about a lot he had sleep apnea apnea and would um wake up with lines but yeah the line was a debtor useful as paperweights <laughs> God, that's um, great! I wish I could wake up with any lines. That's amazing. Let it's very rare, and it's a bit spooky to speak about it because it's one of those spooky things you think, "Oh, if I right, speak yeah, about it, it will never it. happen." But yeah, it doesn't happen. You like, yeah, it's like one of those things about practice. I think you have to be in a certain space for that to happen. Um, meditative space, or I don't know. It's almost like prayer or something i don't know but yeah yeah. (laughs) when a line comes to you like that when yeah it happens very rarely but it was one of those lines yeah um yeah no i i was thinking about you know people i were were was reading and i suppose that in a way like i've always said and i don't know that you know um always felt writing's an act of survival so you know um 
you know, so you write, write, you know, psychologically, emotionally, you know, um, physically, then I suppose too, then. Um, so there's that sense of writing yourself into existence. So that I was thinking of dead writers being like holding you down, you know, like literally yeah. like pinning you, you know, they're useful to, to, well, I suppose pin you to the page. I don't know, something mm. about, yeah. But also the the weight of their legacy and having yeah. to write in response yeah. almost or in, in their shadow. Well, just, well, more like grounding really, like so that you don't blow away. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Literally so use them, use them yeah. so that you don't blow away. Like if you're trying to write yourself into existence, like, you, the, yeah, they're sitting on your page so you don't blow away that's so great um i think that leads me to the poet that we were going to talk about today gig ryan so when you did this workshop with us at sun velvet morning that was the day that i was introduced to the poem if i had a gun Uh and so i want to formally thank you okay (laughs) for bringing me that poem okay because if it weren't for you i don't know like i might not have read it yeah right probably I hope I would have come across it. Yeah. I'm sure I would have come across it in a different context, but but I just, I didn't know how much I needed it. Yeah. And then as soon as you read wow. it and shared it with us, I, that was it. I was like, okay, well, Gig has said this thing now yeah. that we can have as a, as a yeah. map and as a touchstone and as a, yeah, just, she's just staked out this territory in this poem that is so, I feel like I need to go there every day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Scary as that may sound. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting because I'm not sure how she feels about that poem. I think she feels like it's almost like haunted her, I'm you sure, know, and it's like, so I'm sure sorted. it's super annoying. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's, um, I mean, it's sort of quite different to a lot of her other work. It is, yeah. I, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's totally. But it, it, I suppose, what is it? It's got a freedom to it, hasn't it? Like, um, and it, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, a self, I don't know, actualization to it, hasn't it? That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's got that real honesty and rawness. Mm. And, yeah, authenticity, the authority of authenticity, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I suppose the, the right to say it to as you, yeah, as you um, feel it, you know, like to author it. I think um, Arnold Zabel, I heard say the other day that um, being an author is authority. Like you get to tell your story, you know, how you... <laughs> you experience because you're the authority you know like yeah it's that right to tell your story as you experience it no matter who you upset like it's that's the freedom it's your story Mm. was that the first of gigs poems that you encountered or did you come Um, to work from another angle i probably heard her read um would would have been probably my first encounter with gig i'd imagine um which probably wouldn't have been that poem i mean i probably would have then you know because i don't think you know i think in some ways i feel like she's 
well, I don't know. Yeah, she'd have to say talk about that. But I felt like she's wanted to separate herself from that poem in some ways because I suppose it becomes one of those signature poems you don't necessarily see. You you don't see as, and I don't actually think it is necessarily representative of her work. Yeah, but I don't it's think well, it's, yeah. the one that people remember mm. because I suppose of its shock value. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I love her for her, you know, her surprise and, you know, her, um, you know, just the way she uses language and the way she is so, um, just the energy, the punch, I mean, her verbs, the way she uses verbs and how original she can be. Like, I think when I read Heroic Money, I think. I think I underlined all the time she said love, you know, like how can a poet say anything original about love? Right. Um, I think just for fun, mm. I underlined every time she said love and every t- oh, heart and every time was incredibly original, like mm. hearts were rodeoing and there was always right. the verbs. Um, yeah, that's... So I, she's amazing. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's... There are combinations of words mm. and 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 lines. Even just a single line, you'll just think, "How can I possibly unpack that?" You know, there's there's so much there, and it is all so original. Um, yeah, maybe we should hear then the poem that you chose to talk about, Eurydice Suburb. Yeah, and then we can keep talking from there. Sure, you want me to read it? Um, yeah, and I'll say too to listeners, this one, it's it's dense and a lot of it's going to fly by you and that's fine. Don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a good good advice. Don't yeah, panic. Don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> and just let it go over you like for a first read. Exactly. Yeah, it's a first, if it's the first time you've heard it. Yeah. Mm. Eurydice's Suburb 1. The wings of home enfold you and lock under the city's poisoned coronet or halo. You gaze at the supermarket's petrified food and respond like a zombie to the past ghosts and semblance of meaning. Jeweled cigarette. They got on criminally. Sorrow autonomously surges. Affirmations curl up on the fridge. After, we go to the Pathanian Thai restaurant in Northcote. Social workers cleansing their systems on art's scaffold. Each interview, an advertisement. Relentless song. Noble game sailed towards the equator with vested interests bidding to the last or floundering, conglomerate personality in the honours list. He calls him by his job. The dollar tilts with raids and hedges. Two, ills and plaudits sift into the ground or flame when we farewell. Now no one knows your face, a spotless lamp. As mail flaps with ads and tenants come and go, her stainless presentation scales the house, 
and Saturday was jokes. Velvet streets and roofs wedges. Sky passes like a film. His distant voice marbles the horizon. Lenten bread or manna falls. Robust oasis. I scroll through my life. Behind the valiant safari, the Mitsubishi executive. They return to their belongings in pink smog and crowned buildings. Three. The city's grids at night. Paper lights tossed in desolate water. In the fish-lined plastic sea. You fall asleep in front of the electrodes and salute the vacuum-wrapped lunch. The strands of history you concoct, praising the tractor for its patriotism. You buzz into sunset, having shunned the sea's snapped edge. Great artists of nostalgia. Your overflow cups bristle with distinction. Your studious ovoir takes its pulpit. Leaves like words arrange and scatter and potentate, potentates shrugs. You had to look up that last. I had to look up potentates <laughs> yesterday. An autocratic monarch or ruler, apparently. <laughs> what is it? Uh, a, a ruler or an auto, particularly an autocratic ruler, a potentate, potentate I shrug. Can. So I feel it's a like, great word. Isn't yeah, it? it's um. I feel as if that last line picks up the thread that pops up a few times throughout the poem of um, uh, the honours list and the distinction and that kind of like this this certain group of people, powerful people who mm. are fairly cavalier in their power, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But there are a lot of threads and there are a lot of people. There's a lot happening in this poem. Yeah. There's, there is a lot happening, and I'm really good at missing illusions, you know. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's why I started That's this true. podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I think you've said before, and I think it's really true, and it's, it's something I really love. It's why it's great to read things in a group, because there's what you get when you read, but then there's, you know, what other people get. You know, and often I respond to the language and other people going, yeah, but that's that's referring to that and that. Yeah, I mean, I love, you know, Eurydice's, that whole Greek myth thing, how that works in it. Um, and um, how I love the supermarkets, petrified food, like, like to me, and I don't know whether it is or not, but how that's paralleling, that's like saying the supermarket is the underworld. And I can oh, totally relate to that. I didn't like, get that, but I love it. <laughs> I love that. That is exactly how I feel. Yeah, like I, I, I have to always, I can't just randomly go to supermarkets. I have to really, you know... Um, be stilled to go <laughs> to it is a serious issue for me I find it very hard well, well there you go I'm not the only one yeah. yeah god and the idea that it's a food like I mean it's designed to look so fresh but in that it's petrified and fluorescent lighting I just see all that it makes making such a statement there to me about about I don't know commodification and 
you know, just, yeah, modern life. I don't know what we've, how we've deadened. I mean, Eurydice's suburb, it's like the suburb is the underworld. And yeah, um, I love it. Yeah, that makes complete sense. There's a number of lines in there that I feel are really, really funny. And when yeah. you hear Gig read, often there'll be these ripples of laughter that go through because she's so matter-of-fact. Yeah. Even though she's delivering these lines that are so powerful, they're so dense, there's so much going on in them. She just yeah. kind of, you know, just tosses them off. Yeah. <laughs> and... um and people will laugh because it is genuinely funny. Like, yeah. And, and it's a laughter of recognition yeah. to things like affirmations curl up on Yeah, the that is so funny. I love that. That and, is hysterical. And um, I also adore, he calls him by his job. Yeah. Like, he's a That's teacher. That's great, too. He's yeah. He's an accountant, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, affirmations curl up on the fridge. It's so, like, integrated into the poem. Like, it's, this is a poem of, in you know, it's fridges and supermarkets and... But it's also really, it's also really philosophical. You know, it's also, it's like it just, yeah, it just debunks the whole sort of um, minimization that the whole New Age movement in, you know, in, one, in one line, like. Yeah, you've got these social workers. Yeah. I think they're in the Thai restaurant and they're, yeah. they're, cleanse, they're cleansing their systems on yeah. the scaffold. Yeah, that's so much that isn't there yeah um really yeah. everyone in melbourne's inner mm. north is fair game in this poem and as a resident mm. of the inner north i welcome this <laughs> i'm up for it <laughs> yeah um, i feel like i am being yeah i i get it yeah yeah and you know like what we used to think of suburbs is is maybe you know, Northcote's really in a city now, isn't it? It and is, The whole yeah. Thai restaurant is in a city. But the history would be to think of, like, 50s suburbia and everyone on Valium or something, mm. you know, which to me is the history of thinking of sort of being deadened in the suburbs, which, yeah, I think it brings that into a modern context. For me, like it's making a comment about that not having gone away in in sort of inner city, what we might consider yeah. more conscious life or that. Yeah, that that yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that makes total sense. It's kind of like we've traded the yeah, um, you know, the beautiful A line skirt and the Valium for <laughs> affirmations on the fridge in the Thai restaurant, but it's the same kind of deadening. Yeah, and the potentates continue to shrug. <laughs> Either way, they're like, I don't care what they do. I'm not living in the suburbs. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah. yeah. That's right. It's and very yeah. it's scathing but fun. It is. It is, isn't it? And then and then it's a comment, you know, the valiance of fire in the Mitsubishi executive. Like, you know, it's it's a comment on consumerism and vacuum-wrapped lunch, you know, like... Mm. Um, yes. Salute the vacuum wrapped lunch. That was yeah. another one I had underlined. Oh, isn't so that funny? Yeah, that is funny. It's cutting though, isn't it? Too. It's like it's witty, isn't it? Like, yes. Yeah. I'm also fascinated that there's the line in here. I scroll through my life, mm. given that this poem was written in 2001 or, or before, mm. um, when there 
this um, making the flicking through Instagram action. Um, yeah. That didn't exist at the time. No. But uh, it's kind of yeah. incredible that it's in it because it seems so mm. applicable now. Yeah. It, it it's Yeah, that's right. Because that's sort of foreshadowed by another line about the sky being film somewhere. Oh, true, right? yeah. The sky passes like a film. Yeah, Saturday was jokes, velvet streets and the food uh, and the roof's wedges. Sky passes like a film. Yeah, so there's this sense that everybody is uh, behind glass almost. All the it's cut off from, from life, yeah. like mm. from having shunned the sea's snapped edge <clears throat> like to me that's um yeah cut off from i don't know it's again like and you know we've got the sunset we've got the sea like you know here's a pot writing a poem with the sunset and the sea in it <laughs> yeah. that's what i love about geek yeah that there is all of that in it yep but it's so original like you know, I mean, when my daughter did photography, you know, there's that acronym NF, not another fucking sunset, you know, like, <laughs> how can you write about the sea or, you know, take a photo of a sunset and it be in any way original? Mm. But what I love about Gig is that she will do that and it will be. Yeah. You know, like, I've never heard the sea's snapped edge. Like, how many times have you heard about that sea described? It's absolutely unbeatable that the yeah. sea snapped edge and i just wonder yeah. how many months years it took to come up with that yeah. or maybe it was just there for her who knows but um yeah yeah it just i uh, think she works really really hard i think you know i think as far as i understand you buzz into sunset you know it's patriotism like there's that the balance of abstract and concrete language I think she's really tough on herself, like when it comes to the to process, um, and taking a long time with drafts and redrafting. As far as I understand, she doesn't. You know, she lets things take time, and yeah. So this poem, yeah, I think. I, as I was reading it, I was thinking about this idea of specificity that you talked about that day. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I wrote down in my notes from that day was writing can give you an experience you haven't had if you're specific. Yeah. So I feel like that's definitely true of USC yeah. suburb. There are these experiences which they're so detailed. Yeah. So, you know, singular. Yeah. That you you read them and you kind of yeah if you i don't know if it matters if you know northcote yeah. or, or melbourne or not but i suspect it doesn't i suspect you would have a strong sense of what that experience was like yeah um just from reading it i uh, yeah yeah i i agree i mean i think that if you're in baghdad and you know you you understand what that means you know a thai restaurant in northcote mm. i think when you name a place it, it brings it alive. And I also, I also think that um, you understand that the the, the narrator is sharing with you a lived experience. And I think there's a generosity in that, that 
invites you in mm. um that doesn't alienate you it's go like like yeah um the, and i think the more specific you are that yeah the more universal it is because if you're sitting somewhere else you're sitting in a place that has a name you're not yeah. sitting in a generic place you're not going to a generic restaurant you're going to a specific restaurant in a specific place mm. so i think that means you respond more to someone telling you about their specific place and their specific restaurant i think that invites yeah. invite i think you respond oh well i do i think when someone is prepared to share it gives it authority to me share their their lived experience i feel i feel like i have a relationship with them an intimacy with yeah yeah it's intimacy isn't it whereas i think my instinct when i first started writing was to hide those details yeah i don't think i have any poems from when i lived in canberra that actually name any part of canberra um yeah you know, it's always like the city, quote unquote, or like yeah. the mountains or whatever. Yeah. Just keeping it broad, brushstrokes. Yeah. Because we're taught that if we're general, you know, it'll. But then, you know, um, I, well, as we we're talking, I just think one of my favourite lines in a novel is Emma's Funder's first line when Hitler came to Powell's in the bath. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, when you're talking, you know, because it's it's humanizing you know and it's like intimacy you do immediately setting up an intimacy. i'm going to read on because this person's going to talk to me while they're in the bath i've already yeah. got an intimate relationship with them but um and they're I telling was going me to say, the truth as well they're not obscuring is, stuff yeah hmm. yeah and then at the same time like too like you know there's that you know people there are tours of of james joyce's you know you can walk the streets of ulysses like mm. people love doing that or people go to ramsey street because it's named you know yeah like there's something about you know um yeah i mean if you're gonna if it's gonna be a tree like a maple tree is so different to a just a tree a tree or yeah. you know mean such different things or evoke such different things Unless you're Ashbury, in which case you can say just say some trees and we're all cool with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's... sometimes it does do the opposite. Like I, there's a Miranda July um, line in one of her short stories where she, where a woman didn't realise she was broken up with her. You know, she always writes some in- incredibly isolated characters, which I can, you know, really relatable and the woman doesn't realise she's broken up with her partner until she sees him at the supermarket with another woman. Mm. And the other woman's wearing a white coat, just a white coat. So I've, I've gone around the room and go, what's a white coat? And so everyone inserts what they find threatening. So for me, who wears op shop clothes, it would be a designer white coat. Right. For someone else, it's a doctor's coat. You know, like it's... You know what I mean? Like sometimes it works to be general because the person like maybe Ashbury's trees can insert their, it gives them free scope to insert their idea. Right, yeah, it it leaves you that bit of room. Yeah, that's such a good point too. (laughs) So yeah, there's an argument against specificity as well. We acknowledge that. Um, Yeah. The, the other reason that I, I really felt I wanted to speak to you at this 
particular moment or I was just excited that we get to speak right now is um, there's a sense in paperweight I feel that there's this like I don't really know how to put this in a way that's not going to feed into the criticism that you sure that you brought no, up, I'll, I'll, but um, I'll, I'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't mean this in a critical way at all. I mean it in a way that's very, very useful to me right, right now. Yeah, is I feel that there is a rage in this book ah, that I really cool. needed. That there's lots of things. There's, yeah. there's, uh, there's love and there's grief, and there, but there is also. Uh, a rage there and um it's not the same kind of rage that exists in if i had a gun mm. it's more uh like a quiet constant mm. and that's what i've been feeling a lot of in the last couple of months mm. as we kind of get deeper and deeper into mm. the unfolding of the Mm. box that is mm. men who've done horrible things mm. and many men who I've looked mm. up to in my life you know mm. oh look there he he's done something awful too and mm. I just feel like I'm getting to this point where I just mm. can't really function in the way that I used to and I mm. feel the same way that I did after I finished reading Marilyn French's The Women's Room mm. where I was just like I don't even know if I can go out anymore mm. like I just don't uh, want to yeah. I don't want to engage because I just feel so angry yeah. and I find myself snapping at people mm. in ways that are just awful mm. um, and nothing to do with them. Uh, so, mm. yeah, reading reading Paperweight, there are these moments that um, just are deeply comforting because I feel like there's a, there's space for that, mm. for that rage. Um, uh, so I've marked a bunch of poems. Yeah, there. great. <laughs> the I've one... forgotten them. Like, I think I like the ash and you write your poems to get to rid of them. them. Yes. <laughs> I guess just as an example no, good. Um, of what I'm talking about, because it is kind of hard to express mm. and not that intuitive. Um, one of them here uh, called Guggenheim. Uh, it's a fairly short one. Um, a woman whose canvas he can soak stain for clarity and openness not someone painterly like me making me wait collapsing color into canvas so there is a flatness of the picture plane mm. in the suspended room he compares me to his mother <laughs> ah <laughs> so great <laughs> good that's great i'm really happy about that yeah 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 just like um just need some tools and i feel like yeah. poetry is really 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 useful at times like this look you know mm. that's what it is for me that's what i get really angry when people go oh it's not about your feelings because for me it's about <laughs> yeah sure okay you know like it is though and why is that you know um because for me it's about survival Mm. You know, and when I speak to students and that they will say similar things. And what you're talking about is survival. You have to survive spiritually, yeah. intellectually, emotionally. So, you know, and, you know, I felt like I didn't have a self, you know, so I had to write one into existence. Mm. So that's where subtlety is a privilege, you know, um, and that's, you know, I can't, you know, that's, you know, what Janine Leanne said, I'm going to keep saying it. No, do. And yeah. keep saying that she said that, you know, because 
you know, I, I, that's, you know, and, and so for women, for many people, you know, um, you know, it is about survival. Um, yeah, so I forget what I was going to say, like, maybe the coffee's not really working, it's made me more scattery. <laughs> well, there's so, many ways, there's so many uh, ways to go with this, isn't there? There's, yeah. Um, when you say survival, I think in, in really basic terms about things like we both have to get to Woolies and deal with Woolies mm. without feeling like we're going to throw pasta at someone. You know, like, um, not to well, say you, you know, would like do that, I would but say, like, yeah. well, you know, I have lost it in the supermarket. <laughs> they shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't play the ballad of Lucy Jordan in supermarkets about protests. But yeah, no, like, um, anger is a sign that you're getting yourself back. Right. You know, if you, if anger's a sign something's gone wrong, mm. like if you put your, hand on a flame you pull it away if you put your hand on a flame and don't pull it away something's wrong and that can happen to people you can be being abused and not get angry mm. so you know if you gotten if you're angry that's a sign something's not right you know so you know i mean i'll always say to students you know put put your rage on the page and i'll always say to students you know there's a lot of reasons for you know i mean i have white privilege there's a lot of reasons for you know um indigenous students to be angry and you know um and i'll always say it's it's okay to be angry be angry you know when people apologize for their anger be angry you know the best writing comes out of anger that's what i was going to say before you know like someone said to me if if i knew you were going to write about it i wouldn't have treated you that way like (laughs) yeah it was like i just like well that's why i write like that's gold you think i'm not going to use that and publish that so that's ended up somewhere in that book or another the other book i don't know but of course, it's about, you know, like to me, you know, I write to to work all that stuff out. And I think it, what, and my next book, more of the same, you know, and, and someone quite snidely said to me, oh, you can trace Claire's relationships through her books. Well, yeah, hell yeah, you can, you know, that's fine. Like, you know, this is about me surviving, mm. you know, um, Yes, so, you know... um... But at the same time, I think there's a... You know, in that criticism, there's a a forgetting of the fact that there may be many other hundreds and thousands of women and people out there who deeply appreciate that tracing that relationship because we're having something similar. If I write about my relationship, exactly. And so that's why it's deeply gratifying to me. You know, that comes back to where we started from. Thank you really much. It makes meaning of my whole life, you know. Like, (laughs) you know, like if I do that for me, it it helps other people do it for them. And like Mm. Gig, you know, she's 
been able to say if I had a gun, like, this guy's pissed me off. Like, he's, you know, looking at my boobs or whatever instead of my face. Like, that pisses me off so that other women can go, yeah, that's shit, you know. Like, um, so, yes, the more personal you are, the more universal you are because, you know, for someone else might go, be, well, he looked at my ass. Well, you can't see that because it's behind you. But no, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. you know, like, you know, it mightn't be exactly the same, but the more specific you are, the more universal it will be, the more honest you are, the more people will relate to it. But, like, you know, getting to what you're saying or how do you survive it, it's it's really tricky. And, you know, like, as a mother of two daughters, I wonder sometimes how to survive it. And look, we're at an interesting time in history and... Um, there are people who want to um, shut it down and, and belittle it. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, one of my concerns, you know, my daughter keeps reminding me it wasn't a movement, it wasn't a campaign. It, the Me Too thing was just one woman after another just going, Me Too, like, mm. um, and, you know, people, you know, it's, you know, you know, one of my concerns is, again, here are women, you know, you have to hear me bleed to believe me, you know, like. But initially you got to, you know, um, it's about your personal survival, looking after yourself, doing what you need to look after yourself. And, um, you know, if, if you're being creative, if you are able to put out, you know, continue to write and um, write, um things that are satisfying you then you're surviving you know you you can't be oppressed if you're being creative if you've been creative you're surviving mm. that to me is a measure like um um yeah so i mean you know it's um anger's not a bad thing Anger's a really good thing. It's 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 not good if you end up in jail, and a lot of women have, because but it's you know, um, it you know, but it, it's um in and of itself, it's an energy, as you know, someone yeah. said, and that you can use it creatively, and not, you know, you don't have to use it, you know, to harm yourself because you know if you throw a brick through someone's window or something you're harming yourself no mm. yeah <laughs> yeah but we do spend a lot of time not feeling it repressing it we're feeling it or apologizing for it so mm. that's why it's good to see it on the page um mm. being it just uh away from the well a, a slight at a slight remove from that Mm. that rage that I reference there mm. it's the specificity of the experiences in here and there you know the fact that they mm. do kind of ripple out I think is it's all through this book um uh I I wouldn't make you read this because it's quite long but yeah. there's a poem here called mm. if I hadn't mm. um do you want to read part of it sure I can read it I'm just like shoving poem baby that's fine <laughs> Yeah, okay. Do I, I, I can... Oh, go, you do the whole thing. Right. Right. If I hadn't... If I hadn't texted him, I would not be caught up in the thingness of being rejected and should not be doing. 
I would be dwelling in the infinite possibilities of the openness of this night alone and my cows and sheep would have a large paddock. The aboutness of my Friday night is now waiting in reaction to rejection instead of the spaciousness of reading Zen and Heidegger. My thinking and writing appears as a phenomenon of diversion instead of the thing in itself. My present is should not haveness. The jug is this house and it is a vacuum that pulls in longing to spill. It wants to be filled, held and poured. Being is containmentless. Being is relationshipless. relationshipless. A jug filled with water, immersed in water. Break the house. This is being. Things are manifestations of two opposing parts like self and other. Meditation destroys thingness. My little suicides are manifestations of the duality of killer and killed. The silence is being with the presence of the absence of the phone ring. He not ringing and inviting me over and after hours of intersubjectivity, me going to leave and him not pulling me down on the orange couch beside him. Him not saying we should not do this, it only ends in tears. There is no aboutness about this and entering me. He not dwelling in me with the intentionality of itself in itself, sometimes not even moving. Only a receptacle, however, can empty itself. I shape the void into the thingness of his penis. Holding needs the void as that which tightens. The climax gathers what belongs to extinction of division. The two parts, the receiving, the receptacle, the void and the outpouring as giving. We don't come apart and the room doesn't fill with leaving and receding. It empties. Yeah, I had fun with that. That's, yes. That's a lot. It's so fun. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Like I did stuff it up. It's, yeah, just having fun with, with that particular experience, which yeah. is, it's got to be like one of the most <laughs> frustratingly painful experiences there yeah. is. Of like, oh, now I've texted this person. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm in this situation yeah. of waiting. If I yeah. hadn't texted, it yeah. wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, you know, it is, it is, it does... You know, it is gendered and, it, um, uh, and it, you know, um, what's her name? Our homegrown, um, she lived here in Sandringham. Oh, I've forgotten her name. Female eunuch. Oh, Jermaine Greer. Jermaine Greer, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jermaine Greer. That was you another know. one I was going to read was after Greer. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she wrote about, you know, like how... You know, if some if a man doesn't ring a woman back after sex, it's it how it just really plays into, you know, the hundreds of a woman will immediately go into the anxiety of the hundreds of derogatory terms that men have for women around sexuality that we don't have for men and that we still continue since she's written that forty years ago to come up with new ones. You know, and we literally have hundreds, you know, as we know, for women and the ones for men aren't derogatory, mm. you know. So it's not from nowhere that women have that anxiety. Mm. It's, you know, it's um, structural and cultural. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And so that personal experience, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So intensely personal, literally on a Friday night, like that was my Friday night. <laughs> 
you know, has a structural, you know, social context that is universal. Yep. You know, it's yep. it's not personal. I mean, well, the personal goes back to that old adage that everything's political. You yeah. know, the personal is political, and it's a radical act to be personal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you did you feel um, before the publication of Paperweight? Did you feel cons- did you feel worried? Did you feel scared at all about the people who would read it and what they would think? Terrified, yes. Um, yeah, and you know, well, yeah, and look now. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's sometimes there's a conflict between the writer and the human being, you know, what comes first, um, or maybe that's just really wrong to say. You obviously are a human being, um, yeah, and a writer. Um, yeah, they're not really separable. <laughs> but, yeah, look, I know, like, with my first book, um, my... Um, my ex-husband was a really good sport, you know, and I negotiated that, um, you know, we made a deal and he was really on board with saying, you know, the art is, you know, exists when we all don't and that, you know, is important, that comes first and, like, my relationship with him was mixed in with other... It would have been hard for people to distinguish what was him and what was other abusive relationships or whatever and he was a really good sport about that this one I had a lot of anxiety about yeah there was people going to be at the launch that were in the book um and stuff and you know no one's named or people could definitely recognize themselves um in the end I think people actually felt a bit what the feeling I got was they felt a bit chuffed by that actually (laughs) rather than not but yeah, going into the my next book's going to be a real problem with that too because the whole book I think is yeah so yeah about processing a, a difficult well it's in my life you know and it's a processing you know a a difficult relationship you know that over a very long term and, and you know my whole life really um yeah so you know I think going forward it's something all writers and often you know, I know students get into knots about it and, you know, in the end as a, as a teacher, I always say, look, you've got the right to write about your life. That's what, that's my life, you know. Um, you think about publication afterwards, do it. Yeah. Think about, and, you know, you can negotiate with um, your loved ones. Um, yeah, I... Um, I'll never expect my daughters to ever read anything I write again as another story. Right, yeah. You know, it's just too, uh, for, you know, and that's totally okay, um, you know. Um, they don't need to read about yeah. their mum's stuff. It's tough. My mum wrote a poem <laughs> about her, her dog that died and it's a very beautiful, very simple poem. But God, it was hard for me to read it because I just there's yeah. something about um, being in contact with my mother in that kind of state, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of sadness. Yeah, it was so scary for me. Yeah, um, yeah, which is probably like hugely unfair on her. Well, but yeah. yeah, look, I always say to students, it's like, don't show your friends and family your work. 
Yeah. Because you have an emotional relationship with them. You know, that's why you come to a class. You know, you have a peer. One, you don't have to bother your friends and family with it. Two, they're not qualified necessarily. And they're going to be reading what it means about you or what it means about their relationship. And, you know, um, yeah, and it's an emotional relationship you have. Um, so I so just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't share. And I think that, you know, that is... That doesn't mean don't write it. So yeah, like exactly. I say, your mum can write it. Do you read it? That's a choice, I suppose. Mm. Um, but if you do, it's... Yeah, maybe... She's your mum, not, you know, she's not a, an objective poet, like, you know, like, it's, <laughs> yeah, a, you know. It's not and a critique. Yeah, and that's, yeah. you know, I think it's understanding that, you know, you have roles, you know, mm. and the role is different, yeah, or the personal relationship, yeah. With your students, do you, how do you kind of navigate that process of the the first experience on paper writing out things like anger and yeah um and then taking that material and and working with it do you yeah find that it's um do you have a process for kind of like separating them from the work so yeah, that they can look at definitely. it objectively yes yeah you know, so, I'd, you know, like a lot of teachers, they say, like, your first draft, or like Hemingway said, your first draft is shit, always. <laughs> you know, so to really allow that to, like, your, you know, you, that the first draft and we laugh about being your vomit mm. on the page. So just to be totally unselfconscious, totally uncensored, you know, write the stuff that proves you're mad or that means your mum will never speak to you again or whatever, like write all of that, be totally uncensored. Yeah, be, be you know, angry or whatever, you know, um, but that's not what you give an audience. So, you know, um, there's what you wanted to say and then that's where I think, you know, so for me personally, you know, I know from that there are some things that are too intense. I'm an intense person. That <laughs> charges have also been leveled at me over the years. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing I often say in a first class is go, who's who's been called too intense? Put your hand up. You know, who's been told you overanalyze? Put your hand up. Who's been told you think too much? Put your hand up. And by the end, you know, everyone's got their hand up and go, well, you're in the right place. You know, next time, next time people tell you you think too much, you've got to say, well, you you got to make up for those who don't think enough. You know, you're a writer. That's what writers are. You know, now put it on the page. You know, you don't have to bother your friends and family with it. You know, like that. You need to be those things. That's what you are. You're a writer. You know, um, you ask a group of dancers. That's different. You won't get a group of dancers that will be able to sit for an, in a five-hour class and not move. You get a group of writers are happy to do that. Forget to have a drink, you know. Mm, <laughs> mm, still, mm. Forget to have a break. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that initial thing is you get it out, you know, and, and you know, like all of that, I'm not, I don't think it's corny to say, you know, it's better out than in. You know, all of that stuff, it's, a, it's, a, it's again, you know, a survival thing. And then, you know... And it's therapy, I'm not afraid to say that. I think most writers 
all throughout history are working stuff out. If something's not chewing their ass, they're probably not writing. You know, you know, start struggling with something, working with something, trying to work something out. That's why, you know, I think Dickens was doing that, trying to work out his childhood, trying, you know, like. Um, and then that's, yeah, and then, you know, um, and then the more you work on it, the more distance you get. So it, it first of all, it exists outside of you now. It's not contained. So that's alleviating. You're not holding that rage or that intensity. It's there on the page. Mm. So it has an existence outside of you because it can be too intense to contain. So then the process starts of distancing and letting it go. So as you craft it, you get more and more distance from it till eventually it, it you know, like, I don't know, I still, um, you know, there's an adage, if you see your suffering as a poem or as a story, it's no longer your suffering. So that poem now, yeah, when I wrote it, it was a suffering now, it just represents a temporary self or a passing, you know, I don't identify with that poem, you know, um, it's funny now. At the yeah. time, it would have been painful, but, it is you know. Painful. It's a very funny poem. <laughs> and then, in the, you know, um, yeah, like, and we all have that experience, isn't it, that, you know, what can be so intense at the time later, you know, is, um, well, yeah, it's very great. And I, look, I had a student yesterday say exactly that, What you know, that, you know, he finds that, you know, it, 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 it it's... Um, yeah, it is a form of, um, you know, it's it, of therapy. Um, what did he say? Not therapy. Um, that it, you know, it, um, it gets it out, and then it's very satisfying to have a product at the end of that. And that at the end may, I do at some point let go of what I wanted to say, and you know, it may not in any way resemble where it came from. Mm. Well, I think that's the point at which maybe the writer supersedes the human because you go, yeah. okay, well, I what I wanted to say in this poem was yeah. screw you for not texting me back. Yeah. But what I'm actually going to end up saying is something more interesting and funny yeah. um, because in service of the poem rather than the feeling. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so in that poem, I might have wanted to say something about Heidegger and Zen, but ended up saying, screw you for not texting right. me back. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like I wanted to be, around, yeah. I'm going to spend my Friday night thinking. Like, right. And this is, you know, so that's the honesty that yeah. came through more than, you know, and that's funny, you know, that. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, but like, um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so in the end, I mean, I think people have, I think Gertrude Stein and T.S. Eliot have both written the definition of a masterpiece is when you get out of it, you get your will out of it, even if it's intensely personal, even if it's all I, and say, what does the poem want? Not what do I want? And so you go, oh, this, 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 these words, they look, they're like two shiny beads. They look great together. I'm keeping that and throwing out this line that I loved because it doesn't serve the poem so that's when you come back and that's a great freedom letting go of what you wanted to say letting go of saying anything and going where's the poetry and so in the end you know you deliver a work of art to an audience not not your vomit or you're not your therapy yeah but to me 
it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to, I was on a panel with Bay Dow, the Chinese, Bob Dylan, and um, one time, and he said, which is something that's always stayed with me, it's got to have head, heart, and guts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there's, you know, there's really great poetry that's all heart. There's really great poetry that's all head. But I think the greatest is head, heart and guts. And the guts is an interesting one. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. Head, heart and guts. Isn't that great? That's yeah. Bay Dow. And the guts, I think, is some risk. Like I do believe there's going to be some risk. And that's where it's hard and that's where it does come at a personal cost. And that I don't think you can underrate that either. So I think that can be about there has to be self care around it too. Like I do think that, um, you know, sometimes because it's so we we all struggle so hard to get our writing time and to you know take it away from you know having to earn money and all of that that we don't see it as work sometimes some of us. Mm. And that, but we've still got to understand that it is. And I struggle with this because oh, it's still a conflict, still, you know, that you do it to survive, but it threatens your survival because to do it, you can't earn money. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. great irony. Uh, so but at true. the same time, it's work. Like if you put out, you know, stuff that's, you know, really taken, you know, personal comes at a personal cost there's risk then there's got to be some as much as it's yeah there's got to be some self-care around that so um and yeah i don't yeah mm. consolation i think nietzsche says it's the end product is consolation mm.